0: And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this broadcast. We are so glad that you are able to join us today. The seldom taught wrath of God will be our focus today. Please turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Did you know that God's holiness demands God's wrath? And now, with his message, is our pastor Robert Elliot.
1: The devolution of mankind. Romans 1, 18 through 32. Before we get to Romans 1, 18 to 32, I want to ask you, what do you make of the Old Testament story of Uzziah? Hold your place in Romans 1 and go with me to 2 Samuel 6. What do you make of the Old Testament story of Uzziah? I'm reading 2 Samuel 6, 2 to 7. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah, To bring up the ark of the Lord, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzziah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart, and so they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Ahio was walking ahead of the ark." Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood and with lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died. There by the ark of God. What do you make of that? Well, you say that was the wrath of God that was Old Testament. Well, okay. What do you make of Acts 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Acts 5, 1 to 11, if you'd like to turn there. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira t- sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has the Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart and have not lied to men but to God? By the way, that is a very important text proving the deity uh, of the Holy Spirit. He said at first... You lied to the Holy Spirit. He says, second, you lied to God. The Holy Spirit is God. Verse 5. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and then carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things, I guess so. What do we make of these stories? That's New Testament. What do you make of the prophetic passage in Hebrews 10, 29 to 31? How much severe punishment do you think that he will deserve who has trampled under the foot of the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? For we who know him, who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What do we make of these passages in 2 Samuel 6 and in Acts 5 and Hebrews 10? What do we make of these passages on the wrath of God? What do we understand about these? What do we need to think through about the wrath of God? What do you do with the promise of God's future wrath? You see, God's wrath is one of his perfect attributes. For God to be holy, he must have wrath against evil and sin. Wrath to holiness is like shadow to light. Wrath to holiness is like hearing to sound. Wrath to holiness is like falling to gravity. If you have true holiness, and God does, then you must have wrath against evil. And if you have real light, then you must have shadows that are cast by it. If you have genuine sounds, you must hear these sounds. And if you have gravity, then you must fall if you step off of a ladder. God's wrath, although minimized and ignored largely today in the church of Jesus Christ, is part and parcel of who God is. God's wrath is part and parcel of who he is. Of course, the beauty of the gospel that we learned about in verses 16 and 17 of Romans 1 this morning, the beauty of the gospel is that God's just wrath for our sin has been totally absorbed by God's Son on the cross. That is beautiful. That is mercy. That is grace. That is magnificent. The beauty of the gospel that the wrath that you deserve and that I deserve for our sins has been totally absorbed by Jesus Christ who had no sin on the cross. Of course, in sharp contrast, the terror of rejecting Christ until death is that the rejecter of him or uh, the rejecter of Christ He or she fully absorbs God's just wrath for his or her sin, both temporally on earth and everlastingly in hell. You see, sin has to be paid for. The justice of God, the holiness of God, and the wrath of God demand that sin be paid for. There's two ways it can be paid for. It can be paid for through Jesus Christ and you having him to be your substitute, or you pay for it yourself and eternally in conscious torment in hell. That's the fact. Now here's the thing. When it comes to God's wrath... There is both an already, and there is a not yet. When it comes to God's wrath, as we sit here tonight, there is a sense in which God's wrath is not yet, and there is a sense that God's wrath is already. And Romans 1, 18-32, describe the already component of God's wrath against human sin. And you might be surprised about what God's wrath against sin actually looks like, how it operates in the here and now expression of God's wrath against sin. You may be surprised how he outworks his wrath now against rebels who sin. And so if you haven't turned back to Romans 1, I invite you to turn back to Romans 1 beginning at verse 18. I want to read our entire passage before we look at it more closely. Romans to 32 hear the word of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore... God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, they, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And though they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That is the already wrath of God as expressed by the scriptures.
0: Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers.
2: Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas in another edition of Youth Talk. And today we want to continue, and as we get ready to close this series on Sincerely God and looking at God's Word, I want to ask you a question. Has the Bible ever felt overwhelming to you as you've read it? And the answer to that, probably for every one of us listening to this broadcast, we can say yes. Because when we look at God's Word, sometimes we think to ourselves that, you know, we don't understand it. Imagine this for a second, that you are in school And you have this big project to do. And when the teacher tells you what it is, it seems overwhelming to think about. How am I going to accomplish this? What am I going to do? Well, sometimes when we read God's word, it is going to seem overwhelming for us. How are we going to live this way? What are we going to do? And the reality, as we think about that, that is what we should feel. Because it's not us who are living this life out. It is Christ who is living in us and through us. The Holy Spirit in us who is helping us to live this life. And it's going to be overwhelming for us. But I want you to, as we look at God's Word, as we think about what we, where we have been and what we have talked about, I want us to look at a particular passage in James chapter 1. And just to get the context, starting in verse 19, it says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. If we look at that, it's starting at verse 19. And I'm sure that people listen to this and say, boy, someone needs to hear this. We need to be quick to hear and slow to speak. Because we like to speak, but we need to hear. We need to understand that sometimes it's just best to just sit down and be quiet. As the Bible said, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we need to just hear what people have to say to us. When we consider verse 20, it says this, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word of God, which is able to save souls. When I read that and I consider that, you know, as I start off, sometimes we come to God's word and we don't understand. The question for each one of us is, do we prepare ourselves? As we read God's word. Or do we just do it out of habit. And you know this is what I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to read this text. And you know I don't try to prepare myself. But what does it say? Put away all filthiness. And rampant wickedness. We need to understand that we need to prepare ourselves. We need to put away everything that is not God. Put it away. And say you know what? I want to receive the implanted word. Which saves souls. You see, we need to understand, as the text is saying, that we have to prepare ourselves. We have to sit down again and say, God, I want you to work in and through me. I want your word to teach me. I want your word to show me areas in my life that I need to change. But we don't like to look at God's word because you know what happens? It shows us who we are. As we see in verse 22 of James chapter 1, it says this, But be doers of the word, and not hear us only, deceiving yourselves. Again, as we consider that and we, we can you know go by how many times we come to a church service and we hear a sermon and we say, oh, I want to be different. Oh, that was a great sermon, but we do nothing about it. Or we read some of the scriptures and say, oh, man, I need to apply that truth to my life. And we do, again, nothing about it. But what is it saying? Be doers of the word, not just hearers only. You see, we need to hear the word first but we need to do something about it. And I want to ask you this question, what are you doing about it? When you hear God's word, when you listen to these broadcasts and you, and you hear the scripture, what are you doing about it? Are you asking God to, to search you, asking God to help change you? Are you asking for the word to be an instrument that God uses? Because this is what he has given us. This is the life story. Verse 23 says For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently as a natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he is like. Again, what good is it just to hear it if you're not going to do anything about it? It's very clear that it makes no sense. It makes no sense for us to just be a hearer of it and not do anything about it. Verse 25 says, But the one who who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hero who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Again, we are given this truth of what it is that we're supposed to do. We are to hear God's word, but we need to ask ourselves after hearing it, what are we going to do? You know, as we consider this text and we consider God's word and we consider what we've been looking at, I want us to look at a, a little method that can help us as we look at God's Word, as we start off talking about how sometimes God's Word is very hard for us to understand. And this is called the SOAP method, S-O-A-P. And I think that as we look at this method, I think that if we look at ourselves, we can, we can see so much. And the first thing as we think of the S in SOAP is Scripture. You know, we need to look at God's Word. We need to see what it says. We need to look at how we are to, you know, when we read it, that's the only way we can know what it says. Again, it's pretty straightforward just to read it. There's nothing hard about that. There's nothing hard about reading God's Word. And today, as we consider technology, you know, some may be listening to the broadcast and say, well, I don't read it, but I have something that reads it to me. And that's another way of just sitting down and listening to scripture. And there's nothing wrong with that. Now, I prefer sometimes to look at it, but there's nothing wrong with some people are better at hearing it. And it's no no different, but we need to hear it. But one advantage of when you do hear it, you know what you can do? You can hear it again. You can, you know, play it back. You know, I missed something. Let me play that back. And that's the advantage of sometimes with the audio Bible. But make sure that you are hearing what it says. You know, like I said, we want to look at this SOAP method, and and our time is gone, but we want to pick up next week and start at the O of SOAP. And I want you, as we just looked at this morning as as a portion, that we would be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Because what good is it if you just hear something and do nothing about it? This is Pastor Nicholas in another edition of Utah.
0: And now, today's ministry spotlight.
1: Good morning. I'm in the radio studio this morning with my friend, uh, Dr. Steve Lewis. Good morning, brother. Good morning. Dr. Lewis serves as the president of Rocky Mountain Bible College and Seminary, located in snowy, beautiful Denver, Colorado. <laughs> We're going to, yeah, that's right. We're going to talk this morning a bit about uh, Dr. Lewis's read on the state of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. By that, I mean all born-again believers of many different denominations. Uh, Dr. Lewis, what would you say you sense is going on in the world at large within the body and bride of Christ we call the Church? Well, I think the Church has
3: uh, has survived millennia and more for for a lot of reasons that are not always known to us. And I think as we look at our world, uh, we see some places where the Word of God is flourishing. Now, we in the in the in the West have an a, unbelievable access to biblical training and all these other things. But in large portions of the world, they don't. And so, our our ministry and my pa- the passion my wife and I have uh, with B World as a missionary as well is to see that biblical education gets spread throughout the world. Persecution is on the rise, not just from the state. As we've had in the past, but also because of terrorism, because of ideologies, Uh, you know, thoughts have consequences. And so we have to be careful that we don't uh, attack people with what we believe, but be able to share with the gospel and with good biblical training so that they can be able to be equipped and be able to do the work of ministry that God has called them to do, no matter where they are. This is not a denominational issue, though. Everyone enjoys having their own denominations and their own groups of which they identify with and so on. But as I shared this last weekend, we only have one race. It's the human race. We have different ethnicities, which we ought to be very uh, thankful for. I think it would be sort of a bland world if we all looked the same and all did the same. So, well, the church is at a, is at a real crossroads in a sense because we've had the we've had the message and the and the word into most languages, not all, and we've been able to share the gospel somewhat with some ease, but we're finding resistance. In some classical ways that have done for centuries, but in some new ways because of the new technologies, like we said in China, where they have facial recognition of almost every person and have access to all that. And so we're seeing it there. I think the church, hopefully, the believers that are out and around are hoping to we are desiring that they want to know God's word and to be a part of it. And that's really what our struggle is with. I've been more of one who has not done evangelism on a global basis. I've usually gone in after they have come to Saving Faith and want to be equipped. And I've been doing the equipping in different varieties. I've done it through Campus Crusade when I was staffed with them. And I've done it through local churches. And I've done it through uh, churches in other countries. But I've also done it most recently in the last five years with B-World. So, uh, again, some of the hot spots. uh, Sub-Sahara Africa now is a target for Islam. And we have to be very careful when we go in, but it's also very flourishing because Christianity has been a part of a lot of uh, Eastern Africa and Western Africa, but Sub-Sahara has been a target and we're trying to build what's called a firewall uh, to kind of stop the spread of Islam that's coming down from... The northern part into the sub saharan part in great numbers and that's probably one of the largest threats and one of our largest largest targets of sharing and biblical training uh, giving them the opportunity to learn the word to learn theology based upon the word and then more than that to be able to disciple someone else the material that we use and the, the data that we bring together that is the teacher and we ask the, those that come along to facilitate that stuff, that material, so that they're able to go through generations of this and see it spread more readily than trying to have everyone biblically trained individually at an institution. So it's been exciting to see. And I think our world is uh, a far closer to one another than we thought before. You've considered... Forty years ago, you know, the world's population was about four and a half. Now it's seven and a half billion people. Billion with a B. With a B. So uh, when someone says you're just one in a million, it
1: doesn't mean near what it used to. <laughs> True. Um, one of the things we read about in the New Testament is that the church of Jesus Christ called the body and the bride of Christ. In First Timothy, it talks about it being the pillar and the support of the truth. And I wonder if you might want to speak to that from your understanding of the world. Well,
3: what's really great is that God did not leave us. Without that which he wanted us to know. Yeah. And so he, through revelation, I'm always amazed when when uh, people come to God's word and say, well, you need some kind of new decoder way of looking at it. By the fact that it's called revelation, the whole revealing of God's truth, he want us to, wanted us to understand it. I think if and when someone is literate or can understand in their language, having the word of God presented to them, i believe the holy spirit will use that in a way that will allow them to learn it and hopefully and prayerfully it will impact them and make a change there's there's sometimes a difference a disconnect between knowing stuff and actually living and applying it and sometimes in the west we've known so much and have done so little with it that it's somewhat of a shame issue that we have to look at so I think God's word needs to be understood this is what he revealed to us this is and it shows all about mankind the good and the bad mm-hmm. i mean no literature that exists is as transparent as God's Word revealed to us in what we call the 66 books of the Bible. Yes, indeed. It tells us the bad things that these guys did, the good things that they did, but most of all, it tells us what God's truth is. We don't have to guess at it. It's not hidden in some hidden code or language. It really is revealed to us as we look at it, and that's
1: a great thing to know. It sure is, and uh, I've been known to say that uh, A church can never overemphasize the Bible, and a church can never overemphasize, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, if you're listening this morning, and you uh, maybe are between churches, or you don't go to church, uh, one of the most important things that you can figure out as to where to go to church is what place they give to the Bible in their services, and in their ministries, and what... What place do they give the Lord Jesus Christ in, in their own lives and the life of the church? So this is all good. Um, we're on the victory side. Uh, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against uh-huh. it. So we're on the winning side and we stand in the wake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Victory's won on the cross and by the resurrection. So I encourage you, listener, that you would take heart that you're on the winning side. And that uh, you're part of a cause that God says cannot fail. And so I'd like to pray just in light of these things. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the church is not limited to a certain denomination or to a certain geographic region in the world or to a certain walk of life for Christians to have. We thank you for the beauty and the diversity of the Church of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that those of our brothers and sisters in parts of your world that are suffering, that they find their sufficient comfort and strength in your word and in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we pray for those of us who have been afforded peace and relative ease in our Christian lives, that we would not take that for granted and that we would be open handed to give what we can to assist our brothers and sisters who are in difficult straits. Lord, uh, thank you for being the head of the church and the Savior of the body.
0: And we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Today, our worship service begins at 10.30 a.m. in the sanctuary located at 62 Collins Avenue. We invite you to join us. Feel free to write us at EOCradio at gmail.com. That's EOCradio at gmail.com or write us at P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a Savior.